Hi, everyone, and welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. Um, Here at the UVO podcast, we are practicing the art of kindness in civil discourse and authenticity in storytelling. And we are so excited to um, be a new thing uh, here and a resource for our listeners as um, we talk about important things that are going on in Oklahoma and around the country. And so welcome everybody to our new podcast. Um, Today, what we want to do is first uh, introduce you all to to us. Uh, I'm Cece Jones Davis, and I am here with my co-host, Waylon Cubitt. You want to say hey, Waylon? Hello, everybody. I'm (laughs) happy to be here with you. I'm happy to engage in the conversation. I can't wait to to get started. Are you going to introduce? You're going to introduce Yes. Our special guest. Yes, I will. Um, And we are also going to be talking about the vision of uh, United Voice Oklahoma. We've got a very special guest here with us today, none other than Clarence Hill, who is um, the pastor at Antioch Community Church. He is also the founder of Stronger Together. And Clarence, y'all know Clarence, he's known all over this city. He does amazing things. Uh, he is a trusted voice. And um, I'm just really glad to be a part, me and Waylon. I'm are, too excited. I'm, I'm just about to jump out of my Yeah, seat. seriously. <laughs> we are so like grateful to be a part of anything Clarence has going on because he's such a person of integrity and wisdom and um, he does such awesome stuff. So. We're going to be talking about that and we're going to just kind of be sharing stories and uh, getting, uh, allowing you all to get us, to, uh, get to know us better as we uh, go into this podcast journey. And so, again, welcome. So, Clarence, thank you for being with us. Oh, it's so great to be here. This is super exciting. One, to be with you and to be with Lieutenant Waylon Cubitt. You know what's so exciting about doing this podcast is that we know the conversations we have when right. we go after these endeavors. When we go after these conversations, whether it's about heavy topics or it's about race, we know how exciting it gets and we know the progress we've made in having these conversations. Yeah. And so to see you two partner together hosting this podcast is just exciting. So thank you for doing this. It is big stuff. I'm glad to be with Waylon. This is, this is good. But Clarence, tell us what is United Voice? Because the sooner we can tell them what United Voice is, the sooner we get to dive in to the in-depth conversation and those things that kind of cause disunity across the this country and in the state. Absolutely. So if you can do two things at one time, go to unitedvoiceok.org and you can see all of the different TV stations in our city, Channel 4, 5, 9, and 25, also working together with the Oklahoman and Tyler Media and some other radio stations. We have decided to come together so that we can shift the narrative and promote a healthy dialogue on race in our community. And this was born out of a time when our country was seeing some of the uh, most uh, vitriolic uh, language and harsh statements and uh, such disunity in our community. And we wanna see something different. Mm -hmm. And through some of the things that we've all done together in the past over the last four or five years, we know it's possible and we know it's possible to make progress together um, in the face of hard conversations and disagreements. Right. So unhealthy conversations, which it, the United Voice wants to kind of remedy unhealthy right. conversations, right. which means that we see a problem with the conversation. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about 
what that those conversations that seem to be unhealthy? What what were the kind of things that kind of prompted this? There needs to be a solution out there, right? So you know everything has been so divided. Um, I don't know if others are like me, but there are times when I don't even want to hear what's going on in politics, yeah. and sometimes I didn't even want to turn the news on. But having had the privilege of meeting some of the uh, media in our own city, I'm like, our media is a bit different. The local media is a, li- a bit different. And it's so possible for us to have a different tone um, around this conversation. Because I'm sure everybody saw around election time, it was like, if you voted for someone different than your friend, it was a high probability that you were getting unfriended or you were about to lose a relationship. And to me, that was going way too far. Um, United Voice uh, focuses uh, on sharing stories about what I call contributors. And what I mean by that is we saw marches in the streets. We saw Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. Mm. It was just a hashtag war. And, you know, it just didn't seem to leave uh, our country or our community as a whole in a healthy space. So uh, what we've had the privilege of doing uh, because of John Rossi, who was a former GM for Fox TV, he introduced myself, Lee Rowland, Wayland Cubitt. Uh, We went on a tour to speak to the GMs uh, in the media and share with them our vantage point on this conversation and how we have this dialogue. They all bought in because, as you, you all know, a lot of times the media has actually been accused of adding fuel to the fire right. by how they do stories, by how they highlight uh, situations or a lot of times putting minorities in a negative light rather than showing uh, m- minorities uh, adding to the community. So we were able just to, to be able to, to gain a voice. John Rossi opened the door. He was the connector and they were all for it. So one of the things, simple things that we asked them to do was would you all be interested in bringing out two stories a month where we talk about how minorities are contributors rather than focusing on the marches, the violence, um, arrests, and different things like that that some people think is is great news or gets greater ratings. And they went for it because a lot of times when you see a group marching, it's not that they don't need to speak up. It's not that there isn't a situation that needs to be addressed. But a lot of times society as a whole will look at the group and say, oh, you all are victims. And they won't look at a victim as someone who contributes. And we know that there there are tons of contributors in communities that are oppressed, that have uh, less wealth. There are people who are giving almost way more proportionally to see a difference in their communities than, than those who are wealthier than them. And there are, there are champions in these communities doing things, but no one sees that part. All they see is the anger, the riots, the fires, uh, the bitterness. And these stations agreed to do something about it. And it's just been exciting. That's amazing. So how long has this been going on? We're, we've passed about a year and a half right now. Okay. Yes. And off the top of your head, um, can you tell us, Can you tell us about some of the stories that have been highlighted? Oh, oh, yes, absolutely. One of my favorite stories was a story of 
a professor at OU who was the first black couple to get a home in Norman, Oklahoma. And what was neat about this story for me is I had just moved to Norman, Oklahoma. And Norman used to be a sundown town. Mm -hmm. And they shared their story of the things that they faced. I believe his name is Dr. Henderson. They shared the stories of the things that they faced. And it was just so rich to see the character of this couple to say, you know something? We know we're going to face hard times if we move to Norman, but we would rather be the start of tomorrow than stay in our own comfortable worlds. And when I look at the older generation that had to lead out in some of these things, I'm like, whatever we've done kind of pales in comparison to the uh, challenges that we face. Some folks might not know what a sun sundown town is. Can you can you tell folks what that is? That's a great great comment. Uh, sundown town is a city where they would have a sign outside of the city that simply said "No N words." I'm being so polite right now. <laughs> no N words after dark. You know, and they were serious. You could get lynched, um, and you could get hurt pretty bad. You were allowed to come into the city to do business, and business meant you were cleaning someone's home, you were doing the grunt work that other people didn't want to do, but once the sun went down, we want you out of our city, we don't want you as neighbors. Mm -hmm. And I just like the philosophy of loving your neighbor (laughs) and inviting people in, but a sundown town said no, or you could see death. What's interesting about the sundown town is, is, yeah, there were signs that because that's a local rule, but there's actually city ordinances. So it was a violation of law, of a law. That's, for that's true. you to be there. And some of those uh, laws were on the book into the 70s wow. here in Oklahoma in some small towns. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, and I'm not sure about Norman, but I think Norman was one of them. Edmund was one of them. And there's mm-hmm. some others not exclusive of that, but they weren't even taken off of the books to mm-hmm. the 70s. Clarence, this, this, this idea of the news stations who are competitors, coming together and agreeing to share stories like you highlighted. These type of things is amazing to me, but it also kind of goes to the thing that we always say United Voices is known for is seeking common ground for common good. Yes. How difficult did you think it was going to be to have these competitors uh, unite for this one particular uh, mission? Well, Well, for me, I always have hope. Because these news stations are led by human beings, right. uh, sound-minded human beings who have their own personal thoughts about things. So just to kind of back up, this will help me share some of the history of how this United Voice thing actually came about. So we held uh, a bridge conference, Crossing the Bridge Justice Conference, uh, a couple years ago, and we've done it for about four or five years in a row. And John Rossi who was a former general manager for Fox, uh, he was at this conference. And when he heard how we handled the conversation, he was like, this is the way our city needs to handle this conversation. So in these conferences, what we do is really simple. And anyone can do this. And several others have taken this on. Uh, We desire to be a movement. So we want everybody to mimic these practices. And one of them is really simple. Politics can divide, so don't bring up politics. And then number two, sit people down at tables, ask everyone the same question, 
and just listen to people's stories. Mm -hmm. Because what we have lost in a lot of these political battles is uh, just being human beings. The conversations are so dehumanized that we just battle with sound bites. But man, things change when I can hear someone's story. Yes, they do. I'll never forget going over a former senator's home and I'm expecting him to ask me about how things are going and how some of the work that we're doing, how it's progressing. And we got to the point of dessert and his face went flush red. Now on the outside, if you looked at this individual um, and you didn't know his story, you wouldn't expect him as a Republican, former Republican senator to uh, be maybe on the side of some of the conversations around race. If anything, the term race would be like something that would cause them to break out in hives or something. That, you know, that's the kind of the feel around the con. Mm -hmm. Did you just say race? We're done with this conversation. I'm categorizing you. But in his story, he was a descendant of the Quakers. And this was a Christian group that helped slaves. So he had, I believe, a cousin who married a black man and she was murdered brutally. And here we were sitting at dessert and when his face goes flush red, this was the story that he was holding and he wanted to share his story. When he shared that story, I'm wondering to myself, I don't know if I've ever faced any pain that great in my history and I'm black and I have been called the N-word several times and been slighted. But here was someone who was white and wouldn't look like they're, they're with us. And, and so I share that story just to say, we discovered the value of the dinner table and that if people could just hear one another's stories, we could find a value in going in a different direction. So whether it's the news media or government or business leaders, I do have a pretty strong confidence that if we can get past labels and categorizing people and really talk, we'll want something that's best. Uh, I'm wondering if there, wa there was a specific event that happened for you that kind of catapulted you into the depths of this work. I know I'll speak for myself. I know one of the things, the event for me even though there were so many things going on before, before, but for me, the trigger for me to really bring me into a deep conversation about race in America um, was Trayvon Martin. Uh, and I think a lot of people um, feel, felt that way about his case um, because a lot of us felt that he was almost the, the Emmett Till of this generation. Um, and I personally had never felt that kind of um, communal grief for some, for something, for someone I did not know, I'd never experienced that. So he was the one for me. Was there an event or something that happened that kind of brought you into the depths of this work? I, I would say that our momentum came when the movie Selma came out. As far as what thrusted me into this, I'll be honest. I feel like it's kind of always been sitting on me, mm -hmm. where I've been aware. One, as being a Christian, and when I read my Bible, I'm like, this is, this is not the way things are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if anything, 
I would expect the church, you know, the people who declare Jesus to be the ones to say, stop this fighting. No way. Let's 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 show what family looks like between the ethnic groups. And having seen so much pain, because typically when I have a friendship with someone, I don't like shallow <laughs> relationships. So I usually hear a lot of stories. And man, the pain that I would hear uh, between the ethnic groups, and now I'm knowing both sides of the story. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And then I don't feel like I'm Superman. So I'm like, all right, well, if I want to see change, why didn't the, the generals that went before me, you know, when did, did, did they throw in the towel or did they go as far as they could? So there, there came this moment where I'm sitting in my office with a friend who was working with me early on. And he shows me, look at this uh, trailer of the movie Selma. Mm -hmm. I see this trailer and I'm like, how neat would it be to get this Christian organization that's mostly white and this other organization that's mostly black together, watch the movie and then go talk about it at dinner tables. That kind of birthed the dinner table idea. And it became so heartfelt in that room. We had a, a friend who stood up and I'd never heard this part of her story. But she said, my grandparents, or even her, either her parents or her grandparents, probably her grandparents, she said they were involved in the Tulsa race riot. And I know some people don't want to call it a, a riot, a Tulsa massacre. But in that event, her parents were involved, grandparents were involved on the wrong side. And wow. she just felt like I need to apologize to my black brothers and mm-hmm. sisters. Now, that would seem to make no sense. But when I heard my friend sharing after hearing that story and tears just uh, just welling up in the room just from all the ethnic groups that were present, some of the older blacks said, I didn't know that I needed to hear someone say that. When I saw what could happen by simply getting people in the room and making opportunity for the conversation, I said, it's worth my time. Yeah. And I really think that that's been one of the big parts of parts of our problem is that, you know, we've had so much unrest because there hasn't been um, on so many levels a collective acknowledgement of people's pain. And so I, for, for me, I think, um, a, you know, the healing that we are continuing to seek in the whole uh, in racial relations in America is a product of that. Um, just the the lack of acknowledgement because um, you know there's so many folks even here in Oklahoma that don't know about the 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 Tulsa massacre you know there's so many people that um, and I think I read in the news maybe this week or last where um, some teachers are making a, a real effort to specifically teach on the massacre because it is a problem. People in Oklahoma don't know. And I'm not from Oklahoma. Across the the nation, people have not known. So I think that acknowledgement stuff is so, so important. I think it's interesting to hear what what got you in the conversation, like off the sidelines, because I kind of think that Black people in America have always been having the conversation. Mm -hmm. They just haven't been having a shared conversation. You like when someone else comes in the room, it goes to a whisper. That's right. And when the other person goes out the room, it's loud and perspective is really, really shared. 
And there's not a lot of value in that perspective, in my point of view, because you don't know what the other people are thinking. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. only when I got off the sidelines that I start seeing at the dinner tables and having a relationship that I start saying there is Mm -hmm. another viewpoint besides the ones I hear in the barbershop Mm -hmm. and in their family reunions and stuff. And so what got me off the sidelines uh, for everybody that's listening is I'm a police officer. So yes, Trayvon Martin, Move me, but not into action. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people like to 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 put Trayvon Martin in with the police. But if you remember, he, this incident did not happen with the police. It was a citizen, right? Uh, that that, that this happened with. And so my police officer side of me did not engage as much as my fatherhood engaged in that. So I was feeling some, but but not on. I was on the sidelines for the most part until Mike Brown. Mm. Uh, when Mike Brown happened uh, and people in this city uh, and and my white friends and relationships were beginning to ask me, could this happen in Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. Could this could what happened in that little town in, in St. Louis happen here? And I went, yep, yeah, I think it could. I think we are sitting on the same s- circumstances that could ignite something here because what I hear in the barbershop and the family unions and what I hear in relationship are not the same conversations. Mm-hmm. Some people feel like this is a great place to live and there's no oppression, there's no injustice and other people are feeling uh, injustice and unfairness on a regular basis. So I started doing this unofficial poll of letter grading. You know, I ask my white friends and my black friends, male, female, young and old, you know, just casually give, give us a letter grade in Oklahoma on how we're doing on race relations, all things considered, education, criminal justice, all, whatever you think. How are we doing uh, on race? A to F. And what I was starting to see was pretty consistent. My my black friends were giving C's. No, they weren't giving C's. They were giving <laughs> D's and F's. And, uh, and my white friends were giving A's and B's. Mm. And, and so there was a few C's in there from both sides. But for the most part, it was starkly different. And so why is that? We live in the same place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have access to the same things. Why are some people feeling certain way and, and others are not? So as I start diving into that, someone asked me to give a, a talk on race relations. Although actually it wasn't race relations. It was on my response to Ferguson. And that opened the door to a, a wider conversation on race. And, and made it okay for us to talk about uh, in public. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very interested, always have been very interested in what happens after we have these conversations that we have more in common than we have differences. Mm-hmm. Very, very easy on the outward to look at our skin color and assume differences mm-hmm. and assume that we don't have uh, uh, anything of shared value. Yeah. But what Clarence has done a really good job for me and for others around uh, our state is to say, if you have relationship, you'll find some common ground, some things that you really hold dear to uh, and the other things we can we can work on. At least understand where you're coming from. Yep. Right. Yeah. That's our equation. Shared values plus shared vision equals shared victory. Mm -hmm. So 
Good. Somebody Wait. write that down. Just say that again. <laughs> so somebody needs to. They're, they're pulling over right now. It is our elementary school uh, room uh, uh, statement, the equation that says, "This is how we get to tomorrow: shared values plus shared vision equals shared victory." So we have shared values. We want our children to have a better future, and sometimes we 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 create spaces to challenge what our shared values really are. And so one of the things that we try to do at our conferences is to say, okay, when we say we care for our children, let's figure out what our means. Mm. Let's make sure our children includes the kids that have nothing to do with what decisions their parents made in life. And let's, in, let me, let's make sure we care about all of our children together. But for the most part, people care about children. People care about those who are hurting. And so that's a shared value. And then then the shared vision piece for me is running into individuals like uh, you two. You're champions. You, you, you choose to spend your time sacrificially. The majority of stuff you're doing outside of work, you could have come home. You could have just put your big fence up and ignored everybody else because you're educated. You know how to have successful relationship in your family, and you could have ignored anybody else who had need. But you all are champions. You choose not to do that. And so there are champions in all of our communities who really care about making a difference of all different ethnic groups. And I just found that by celebrating these champions, acknowledging these champions, and getting them into the same spaces so they can compare their visions and realize you have almost the exact same vision. And man, what would happen if we could get you to work together in these visions, then we would have that shared victory. Yeah. And so far, we've seen a lot of success at, and, and we go for grassroots things. We don't try to organize, take over, put a stronger together stamp on anything. We just want to kind of just let that chemical process just grow on its own. And that's what happened with United Voice. John Rossi initiated this path. He came to a conference, he got stirred up. He brought Waylon, a black police officer, together with Lee Rowland, a black principal, and myself, a black movement leader and pastor, and said, now let's, let's get these guys, I'm gonna use my influence so that they can share how they handle this conversation with the GMs of the media. And it was, it, it was, it was just born. Right. So I think that's a perfect opportunity for me to kind of introduce the world. Well, you don't have to introduce the world. Half the world already knows Cece Jones, <laughs> right? They, they already know her. But I think it's a really good time to say, you know, who you are and tell them who you are and stuff. I was telling uh, you earlier what what draws me in to Cece is, and for Clarence for the for this matter, but we'll talk about Clarence in a minute. But mm -hmm. What I'm saying is we have never really, the way we met was not like- Yeah, I can't even remember. We weren't even assigned to do a project together. Mm -hmm. We just ended up in the same room often. Right. And when she speaks, uh, when she moves, she got that pen working, her brain is working. And I, I said to myself, man, she when she gets locked on something, she is locked in and you're not stopping her, right? <laughs> There's nothing you can do to stop her when she decides this is a righteous thing to say, do, or sacrifice for. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I've met other people like that, but this is where the difference is. 
when CC gets, uh, she seeks information about people that helps give her insight, right? She asks tough questions without judgment. And when she gets information that challenges her former thought, she will change directions. Yeah. Yeah. She will stop yeah. Yeah. and move the other way. So true. And so many other people, like I've already invested so much time and energy in it. You're going to have, I'm, I'm not even trying right. to hear that thing that might make me move. And, and I find that I need to do that. I need to be like that. I need to be movable, yeah. shapeable, uh, and ready to change course hmm. if the if if that's what ju- it takes to get true justice. Right. Wow. Yes. I, I'm not hosting Man. this conversation, but I'm going to get me some C.C. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Boasting time in myself. <laughs> uh, and you really already said it, but I oh, want to say it out goodness. of my own mouth. Mm. You run into when 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 you're wronged, when you have faced injustice yourself, or you've seen someone else face injustice. It can turn you into a monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, when your emotions are tapped and your your blood is boiling, and you want to see a difference, or you see someone and you perceive that they don't care, and they have the authority and the power to make a difference. There's a high level of kind of soul stewardship that you have to have because your first reaction could make you an enemy of everyone and everyone shut you out. And I have run across uh, several individuals who were very passionate about things, but they were too angry. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, they were too hurt. Um, somewhere along the way, they weren't uh, able to uh, share the message out of their heart without a high level of toxicity. And man, when I meet a C.C. Jones Davis, I was like, this young lady is amazing. Um, at the point where I even was thinking, I'm like, man, I wonder if C.C. has thought about this. And I, I bring up a challenging statement and her instant response is just like, I never thought of that. Now, you don't admit stuff like that. At least, <laughs> right, right. You know, people, you would think you're supposed to, show yourself as an expert. I found out that humility is the best way. And Cece, you show that wow. in such a rich I, I way. I appreciate that. Right. I, I, that's it. Yeah. Okay. I, well, that's enough. This is Cece Jones-Davis. I am a the fan. Warning, the warning is, if you wave injustice in front of Cece Jones-Davis, right. watch out. It's going to be a problem. 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 You had better be able to advocate that's why right. you need to stay that course because Cece Jones-Davis don't take that. Well, right. Man, that's so kind. I, you know, I've never thought about myself in these ways. <laughs> so to hear that is a perspective. I, I'm really touched and honored by that. But um, so let me tell you guys something about the guys that I'm sitting at the table with right now. Um, I, you know what? I think I met uh, Waylon through through a Justin King form right? another another champion. So yeah. Justin King is a champion in the city. He does. Um, community, just kind of organic community conversations about race and justice and all kinds of faith and all kinds of things in the city. He's an attorney here in Oklahoma City, and he just kind of taken it upon himself to, um, as a as a white guy, to kind of just reach out and um, do some of the footwork. And we've seen so much fruit come out of that. Um, and some of that fruit was the fact that me and Waylon uh, met and got to know each other. And, you know, um, I... I have gained so much, I think, clarity from everything that Waylon has to offer because he is, 
not just an African-American man, but he is a police officer. And so he brings such a balanced view to everything. When something goes on in the news, like Waylon is like one of the very first people I want to call and say, okay, now Waylon, what do you think about this? Because I know that he is going to give me a perspective that is well-rounded, that, that involves facts, that involves good information. And so then, you know, whatever, you know, whatever my, my passions would get me riled up about, he, he is the voice that would then ground me to say, okay, you, you can't go that direction until you've looked at this, this, this or that. And so he brings such a, um, a wisdom and a soundness to conversations and a realness. He doesn't check, he doesn't check out of being black when he's at a table. He doesn't check out of being an, a police officer at that, at a table. He holds both identities so well, I feel like, and with such deep integrity. By the way, he is a family man. He's been married for how long? 26 years. Don't get me in trouble. 26. 26 years. 26 yeah. years. Yeah, I got that and right. I, I have never, um, I've never personally met his wife, but um, the way that he speaks of his wife, the way that he speaks of his family says so much about his character and um, the strength of, of who they are as a family. So um, this, this guy is somebody that you all just want to keep like, hearing from, like really leaning into what he has to say because he's got so much experience and so so much depth depth of knowledge that um I learn from him all of the time. Thank you very, very much. I try to be wise. You are I wise. I try to be wise very and not wise. old. I try to be wise and not yeah, old. Yeah, don't be old. But, but be wise. Right. Be Thank wise. you so much. I yeah. appreciate that. So let me tell you all something about Clarence, okay? All right. I met Clarence. I'd heard about him forever. But I met Clarence through the Spiro Project. I think that's our first meeting. The Spiro Project is a um, a nonprofit in Oklahoma City that focuses on basically refugee ministry, um, and they do shout out to Spiro. They do incredible work, and so part of what they do is uh, bringing in um, like speakers from the city to talk about to train young leaders, right? To talk about different topics or whatever. So Spiro was hosting a talk on race. I got this right. Spiro was talking about race and they brought in, um, they decided to have me and uh, Clarence come in to be co-facilitators. And um, Clarence sat at that table. It was like a couple of hours long and I learned so much, but you know what? More than history, um, more than the issues I learned about from Clarence about how to engage this topic in a measured, um, practical, and spiritual way. I, I found myself in that conversation. I was, you know, fired up and, you know, sp spitting out statistics and talking about, you know, mass incarceration and, st and systemic you know, issues. And Clarence was the one to always bring me back to the words of Christ. And so he was sitting beside me. And every time, you know, he, I could tell he was, he was trying to calm me down without like being patronizing or anything. Right. And so, you know, every now and then I would, you know, I'd be fired up and saying whatever. And then Clarence would just so sweetly come back and say, you know, and Christ said, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and the words that he used just, just, just brought me such perspective and brought me right on back down. 
And, you know, I, so I left there, Clarence, feeling like, God, that's how I want to do this work. Mm. I want to do this work from a place of of passion, but I want to do this work from a place where people could, can really mm -hmm. sense Christ in my life, Christ in my approach. And I, I tell you right now, I'll be honest, I, I've never seen anybody do this work in such a Christ-focused way. And um, so I just have to say that that's that's how I think of you. And so so you talk about the stuff and my passion and the things that I do out here. I really think about both of you all's perspectives it, more than, you know, like oh, when I go into oh, meetings oh, oh, oh. and I'm talking to such and such, I'm like, OK, hold on. How would Clarence talk about this? <laughs> you know, like what, what would be the words Clarence would use? Or what are the questions, you know, that Waylon would ask me before? So. Uh, I've talked a lot, but big, big ups to the guys I'm sitting next to. But Clarence, I have I wrote down some words to describe you for me. And you just you did it always so eloquently. But I just wrote controlled. Yes. Frank and upfront. Uh-huh. Yet sufficiently <laughs> guarded. And when I think about the the work that I do professionally, I'm like, I'm Frank and upfront. I ain't always controlled. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm not sufficiently guard. so I mean the example of I don't care what we're doing mm -hmm. what he displays is what I want to be mm -hmm. it's what I want to do right and so that's what uh, that's what you do bro that's what you do you're always controlled you're franking up front and you're sufficiently guarded so like you never not get the message and I may not always like the message because it, I want to, I want to be, I want to hurt people's feelings sometimes mm -hmm. because they hurt mine, mm -hmm. and that's not allowed in the same room with Clarence. Nope. Uh -oh. He keep he makes us grown ups. Like we we <laughs> right, are grown, right, we have to right. be grown ups at all times. At all times when we are at yeah. a table yeah. with yeah. Clarence, and he can do it much. in a room of hundreds. Yes. In a room of yes. hundreds. Yeah. Yes. I appreciate you all's uh, compliments. I mean, for me. Um, I'll say this. I know Lee Rowland is going to uh, be on one of these podcasts. And when Lee and I first met, it was it was something else. It was very comical. So Lee's speaking to a small group and <laughs> I'm hearing him talk about race. Now, this is a good 10 years ago because Lee has been pioneering in this conversation for years. And when I heard how well he shared the story of these young black kids and how to properly care for them and with the teachers. I'm like, ooh, that's a champion. I can't wait to meet this guy. Lee walked past me so cold and cool. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't give me two seconds. He barely looked at me when I tried to shake his hand. And um, I was blessed to meet him later on. Of course, now we're just, I feel like partners uh, and seeing God do great things in our city. But sitting here with you, is, you all, is kind of the same. I have, when I see people who give themselves for things that are going to make a difference in people's lives, those are the posters I want on my wall. Mm -hmm. You guys, my CCs, my Waylands, and uh, the Lees of the world. And so it's, it is a, it's an honor, and it's not flattery for me, but it's an honor and the, the truth that I have you guys in high esteem. And for me, it's just a joy being side by side. So honestly, you know what I do? I measure myself against people that I, I respect uh, their viewpoints. So when I hear you speak, it helps me to know, stay on course. 
every now and then Lee will come up and kick me in the behind and say, you're not saying it as clear as you've said it before. And I listen mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll, I'll pull the sword out two feet further <laughs> and, and get a little bit clearer. But I appreciate you all being uh, on the team together because things are changing for the good. We uh, One of our taglines for the uh, United Voice Oklahoma podcast is common ground for common good. Uh, and I think that when we talk about kind of the strengths um, around us really speaks to me about diversity and how um, important and, and beautiful diversity in all of its forms are. And I think so many times we are afraid of diversity. You know what I mean? We're afraid to be um, too, too close to people who are different than us, right? In, in all kinds of ways. And, you know, the way that we think, the way that we speak, um, what our backgrounds are, our experiences, our race, whatever the, whatever the difference is. Um, but I think that something like this and something that's stronger together and um, United Voice kind of shows us is that, you know, people, you know, coming from different, we everybody is necessary. Mm-hmm. It's what it boils down to for me. Like, Everybody is completely necessary. And I'm, and I will almost venture to say that a diversity of approaches is also very necessary. And so while you might get an, one approach from a Clarence, you'll get a different approach from a Lee. You'll get a different approach from a CC. You'll get a different approach from a Wayland. But I, you know, I, I think that, you know, history has kind of showed us that everybody couldn't be Martin Luther King. Somebody had to be Fannie Lou Hamer. Somebody had to be, you know, John Brown. Somebody had to be, to be, we all have to have to be ourselves at the same table. And that diversity, I think, can really synergize well. That's brilliant. I mean, that's absolutely brilliant. I can't really add to what you said, but it's a great perspective. So when I meet someone, the last thing I want them to do is to mimic everything I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the last thing because uh, that you have people who are called to be chain breakers mm-hmm. and right. they, they have a speed of zero and 100 there. You don't have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I mean, the, is either they're on or they're off. There's nothing gradual about it. And what I've learned is that person needs to stay at the front of their calling, but Clarence needs to stay at the front of his calling. Right. So it takes all of us. And so I try to make sure that even when I share a thought, someone's not backing up off what they want to do because their part may be opening something else up. Case in point, there are a lot of people who cannot stand people who do marches and um, and all of those things. But as Dr. King said, a march or a riot is the voice of the unheard. That's right. And as much as we don't want to say it, um, people have listened to some of the things that I've said only because half of America seemed like it was burning down. And I can tell you in the work that we've done, it was when someone had just died or when someone, uh, a riot had just happened in Ferguson, that's when everybody wanted to come together. It was the easiest to get people to the table. That's very unfortunate. My calling is to lead people to plow, whether it's winter, summer, spring, or fall, so that the conversation keeps going. Someone else who is not 46 and hasn't been stewing on this for 30 years, 
maybe like, I don't care what your plan is, Clarence. I'm going down and I'm going to talk to someone right now. Right. Well, you know what I say? I say, you know, guess what? A leader in the community, a government leader, you have to deal with that. This is what you got. You've got young people who don't want to tolerate waiting around for something to change. So you might want to talk to a Clarence a little bit longer because I will sit at this table a little bit longer than they will. But both pressure points help move this ball down the field. That's right. You have to have a prophet and you have to have a priest. And sometimes... Sometimes the same person is the prophet and priest, but oftentimes they are different people. And, well said. And, um, you know, um, prophets are often agitators. And we think about them, you know, as, you know, troublemakers. And, um, you know, maybe sometimes people think of them as violent or whatever. But, you know, um, there is trouble, but then there is holy trouble. And sometimes we have to engage in holy trouble. Um, I'm probably more on the on the prophetic side, but I thank God for Clarence who was showing up a priest. (laughs) I was going to ask you where you're going to put yourself on that scale. Let's talk about the discourse and what we hope to, to be able to do with this podcast and in sharing these stories. Let's talk about who we hope to bring on and, and how we're going to engage them. I know we have, we've talked many, many times about hearing from people that don't believe in white privilege and people that are real, real, very strongly about white privilege mm-hmm. and how we're going to have that conversation, how we want to model that conversation. What some conversations that you want to see uh, that we engage in on this podcast that we share with the world? Who, who, who can we look to see on the podcast and what kind of subjects? You want to tell us, Clarence, just first a little bit about some of the topics that you would like for us to address? So... I believe in sharing stories, and I think one of the things that we'll measure as we go is, uh, you know, just how much do we want the whole story to be out there. I personally, I like talking to people with extreme views, and what I mean is I want the person, because some people are just passionate. They're not going to be in the middle Mm -hmm. on any conversation so you can forget it, and a lot of times they're canceled, but, you know, just the story of Apostle Paul proves that you need bullets, you need people who are passionate about what they believe. Um, I think the value is in discourse and in hearing stories. So I think the more we can get people uh, to share their, the more we can get people on this podcast who will share their stories who really don't agree. Mm-hmm. And they, they may not even believe in having these types of conversations. They think their viewpoint is the only viewpoint. Honestly, sometimes it really helps grow some compassion in those who really want to see a change. And when you hear someone's story as to how they came to that conclusion, then it helps you to be a a facilitator and a bridge. So my calling is to be a bridge. A bridge has to be able to reach both sides or it's going to be um, trouble for either group. And in, in order to reach both sides, you have to value people's stories. So... How courageous will we be with that? Let's find out who our guests will be. Yeah, well, Cece, who do you who do you who do you vision? Yeah. So in terms of um folks, you know, I'm really I'm really excited um to for us as a podcast to have an opportunity to talk to champions. Um, the word that Clarence used earlier. You know, who are the champions in our community that's doing amazing things that we might all know or maybe not? 
um, things around race, things around, um, you know, uh, criminal justice, things around all kinds of issues that maybe have intersections with race, because we know that when we're talking about race, we're not, we are, uh, we're talking about lots of things, right? So I'm hoping that we can really like just um, pinpoint our champions and regardless of what their views are and give them opportunities to share and um, to help us to get perspective on um, a variety of topics. So I really encourage you all out there who are listening to um, just stay tuned. I think we're going to have some very robust conversations and um, stick with us. I think you'll be glad that you did. I'm hoping that these people that we, we bring on are able to help change views ever so slightly this way or that way. Right. But but when we share perspective and we share how we, we come to our own understanding about race and how we get along in, in the community, why the police are doing this mm-hmm. and why our community is responding to the police in this way, I hope to add uh, that type of value. Let me talk about my change of view. Can mm-hmm. I? Yeah. I'll just share one thing that moved me a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when the Mike Brown incident happened, I, I told you before that I was asked to speak whether or not this that that riot thing could happen in Oklahoma City of all places. I said, I, I believe it could. I believe it could. But when we start sharing about my response to Ferguson. And I spoke in front of hundreds of people. I said to them, well, uh, those people that are riding in the streets are lawless thugs. That was what I called them. And because my job as a police officer, I know that I'm, my job is to protect lives and property. And that looked like lawlessness. It was dangerous. It was unsafe. And they were destroying property. And so I immediately characterized them as lawless thugs. And then I went on with my talk and it was and it was great. And then afterwards, Uh, I began to start watching and they saw the Department of Justice did an evaluation of the city of Ferguson. And a big report came out where it said all of these injustices and oppression was taking place in the town of Ferguson for years, Mm -hmm. for years. And I thought, well, what a shame. That's bad. They need to take over that police department. They need to clean it up. They need to do better than that. And then not too long after that, I'm babysitting here at my house and I'm babysitting my grandkids alone. And I know that that should not happen, but they trusted me with these two little people. And so my grandson is about five or six and his sister, my granddaughter, is just starting to talk in the high chair and I'm feeding them, I'm I'm giving them dinner, I'm eating my own dinner and I'm watching Sports Center on TV. And and Sports Center has those little panels on the side to tell you what story is coming up next. And so I was locked in on the story that was coming up next, which was probably Dallas Cowboy related, I'm sure. But uh, (laughs) I'm trying to do my thing. They're doing their thing. They're eating. I get them all situated, plate, juice, this kind of stuff. And and my granddaughter in the high chair in front of the TV is telling me something that I can't understand. Uh, It's unintelligible, but it doesn't matter. She's got what she needs. Uh, Let me get to my story. She says something again. I'm like, what do you need? You got your mashed potatoes. You got your plate. You got your little spoon. You got your cup keep going but she keeps telling me something that i can't quite make out what she wants but it's okay she's got what she needs and so as my just as my story is coming on she gets a little louder i say shh quiet i'm trying to listen and then she takes her plate and dumps it on the floor and of course i have to immediately tend to the mess 
and I'm fussing at her and I'm pointing my finger at her and I'm chastising her. Uh, at the meantime, I miss my Dallas Cowboy story because I'm cleaning up and I'm trying to figure out, I'm cleaning up, should I get her some more food? She doesn't deserve any more food. Maybe she ought to just suffer because she did it. And, and as I slow down to hear what she's trying to say, I had given her a Spider-Man cup, which was her brother's. And she was trying to communicate to me that she needed her frozen cup, right? It was a simple fix if I would have taken the time and listened and paid attention to what she was trying to say. Mm. But until she threw a little riot mm. right there in her high chair, mm. things uh, that were so simple and so clear to see That'll and preach. so easy to fix, uh, I didn't pay attention. Mm. And now I refl- it caused me to reflect back on this report. And I call these people lawless thugs. Now, I'm still not agreeing with the response, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not. But my understanding on what the loud noise was all about has been tweaked. It changes. I would never call them lawless thugs, even though it was lawlessness that was being displayed. Mm. Right. I wouldn't call them that. And so uh, it it changed my view just a little bit. And what else? Have, I have I have a uh, an aunt that works in the ministry in St. Louis. And when she talked about there were people out there that she knows that were a part of that, that were exact opposite of lawless thugs. But yet I sat in a room full of people and declared lawlessness and thuggishness action in something that 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 maybe had a little bit more to it than what met my eye. Mm. Right. And so I hope that in this podcast that that we are able to just move people's viewpoint one way or the other and change some definitions for them. That's yeah. powerful. Rich. That's good. So rich. I mean, it sums it up so well. There there are so many trigger words that we have. And, you know, that's one of my soapboxes is, you know, making sure that we use terms and language that's going to welcome others. And I, so I hope that people will tune into the podcast uh, with an open heart and let's build some language. Let's build some common language so that we won't just identify you must be on the left. You must be on the right if you are talking about this topic. But let's find out um, what are the solutions that are going to cause us to get to that greater tomorrow where everyone's children can children can flourish, where a child who's disadvantaged can look at tomorrow and see a bridge of hope in front of them. And to me, as being a part of the older generation, uh, Gen X or myself, I feel like that's my responsibility to at least make sure someone has an opportunity to build a greater future. Well, thank you so much, Clarence, for being our first guest on episode one. We look forward to having many more conversations with many more dynamic champions. Just remember, here on the United Voice podcast, we are practicing the art of kindness and civil discourse and authentic storytelling. And we are always here to seek common ground for the common good. And until we meet again. Thanks, everybody. It's been fantastic. It has. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to United Voice Oklahoma, where we just got through visiting and, and hanging out with Clarence Hill. But our next episode, we're so excited to have Lee Rowland, the most inspirational, the most exciting educator in the state. Lee Rowland. Lee Rowland. Lee Rowland. Uh, also, after that, we're going to have Jamie and Justin King. King. Yep, Jamie and Justin. They're going to be talking about um, their journey in understanding uh, race better and how they've gone deeper into the conversation. Right. And... Uh, followed by that, we're going to have a recent graduate from Santa Fe, Edmund Santa Fe, who was involved in a, in a viral moment that kind of was a divisive kind of situation. Kenneth D. Jones, 
You do not want to miss that you episode. Don't. You it's don't. A, it's a fascinating story that we all need to di- kind of dive into. And we are looking forward to having a host of very, very interesting people from across our state to dive into this conversation. Yep. So we're going to, we're just so excited to um, hear from so many people um, on so many issues regarding race. And so we just welcome you all to come along with us. It's going to be fun. Right. I'm excited. Can't wait to do Me it. Too. Let's do it.